Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a message from our current series, Summer in the Gospels. This summer, we're spending our Sunday mornings in the Gospels, which are the first four books in the New Testament. In each passage, Jesus teaches an important lesson about what it means to follow Him. When we read these scriptures, it will help us learn more about Jesus and how to help us follow Him. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. In the summer of 1846, a party of 89 immigrants headed west along the 2,170 mile long Oregon Trail. Tired, hungry, and trailing behind schedule, they decided at Fort Bridger, Wyoming, to travel to their final destination in California by a shortcut. The Hastings Cutoff, they chose, was an alternative route that its namesake, Lansford Hastings, claimed would shave at least 300 miles off the journey. The party believed the detour would save more than a month's time, but they were wrong. Hastings Cutoff turned out to be a waterless, wide-open stretch of the Great Salt Lake Desert that Hastings himself had never traveled. He simply looked at a map of the route that settler John Fremont had taken in 1845 across the Great Salt Lake Desert. Hastings then wrote a guidebook which said it would be quicker and easier than the standard trail. But what Hastings didn't realize was that Fremont almost died doing it. By the time the Donner-Reed party finally reached the Sierra Nevada mountains, the shortcut had cost them weeks. Snow fell, trapping the travelers. And this is when the most infamous and deadly part of the trail began. You see, when the members of the party began starving to death, Without supplies, the survivors began to eat their remains so they could stay alive. Shortcuts are supposedly easier ways of doing something, and they've often produced disastrous results like this one. You know, it's obvious that the immigrants in this story were in need of a shorter route to save time and money, especially when you figure they were only traveling about 15 miles a day, and they faced continual challenges like changing weather, river conditions, and hostile people along the way. Such difficulties often led to them attempting to find an easier or a shorter route, though in many cases the new route turned out to be much harder. Today, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture where Satan tempts Jesus to take a shortcut to avoid the will of God that will require him to suffer and die on the cross. From this Scripture, we will learn how we also can deal with temptation. Now, to start off with, I want to read a Scripture that God inspired the Apostle John to write to warn us all about the kinds of temptations we face in life. This is what he wrote. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. 
Jesus also faced these three things that tempt all human beings, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and the lust of the eyes. So if you've got a Bible handy, turn to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to read the first 11 verses. This is what happened. When Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point on the, on the temple. And he said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Let's look at how Jesus dealt with temptation, knowing that he was fully human, and we can see what we can learn about the way into temptation. So we read that when Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, he was tempted by the devil. So it's interesting here. It says that the Spirit of God led Jesus to the place, the desert, where he would be tempted. Now, God does not tempt us. The, the Bible is very clear. God does not tempt us. In fact, we read this. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does God tempt anyone. But God may allow us to be tested, to face trials. In the Bible, Moses tells the people of Israel to remember how the Lord your God led you in all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. And we see through the story of Job that God allows trials and tests to come into the lives of humans so that we can show our faithfulness to God. And so we read in this story that God even allowed his one and only son to face a trial where Satan would tempt him. One other thing that's important for us to understand, an important truth, feeling tempted, feeling temptation is not sinful. In fact, not a day goes by when you and I don't face some type of temptation to sin. Now, some temptations hardly register at all with us. Other temptations may catch our attention momentarily, and some temptations will cause us to truly struggle to resist crossing the line into sin. In fact, this is what the Bible says. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So it gives us the whole progression from 
being tempted to sinning to spiritual death. But the good news is that Jesus has defeated that if we believe in him. So Satan can try to tempt us at any time, but it's when we are weak that we're most vulnerable. Weakness can be when we're physically tired, when we're emotionally overwhelmed, when we're bored, or when we are lulled into a lack of spiritual discipline by a season of success. Knowing our human vulnerabilities, the Bible tells us something important. It says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, we're going to go back and we're going to look at those three specific areas of temptation that Jesus experienced and that all of us experience. The first one is this, the lust of the flesh. Remember what we read, that Jesus had spent 40 days and 40 nights without food and he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So what is the lust of the flesh? Well, here's how a few different biblical scholars explain what the lust of the flesh is. It's a craving for physical pleasure. It's wanting our own way. Very simply, we see it illustrated in Jesus' life. He had spent 40 days and 40 nights without food. Now he was hungry. His human body desired to satisfy his hunger. So he was tempted to use his supernatural power to perform a miracle of turning stones into warm, tasty bread to feed his bodily hunger. You know, the reality is that we all have appetites for things that feel good. We have appetites for pleasure that we want to feed. It may be food. It may be drink. It could be drugs. It could be sleep. It could be sex. It could be porn or, or some other activity that creates physical pleasure. And the temptation that we face is to use whatever it takes to satisfy that craving. But as Christ followers... We want to follow a biblical worldview. And a biblical worldview teaches us to place boundaries around our physical appetites so we control those appetites instead of those appetites controlling us. So that means the biblical worldview teaches us to feed those appetites according to what Scripture says. And that means we should consume in moderation. We should steer away from addictive behavior. We should save sexual intimacy for the marriage relationship between one man and one woman. Now, of course, the lust of our flesh wars against those boundaries. And in the second half of this message, we're going to look at how to combat those temptations. So that's the lust of the flesh. The next area that where Jesus was tempted, just like us, is the pride of life. Remember, Jesus was tempted when the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he said again, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, 
It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So to understand what the pride of life means, we'll look at how others define it. The pride of life means having pride in our achievements and possessions, uh, wanting to appear important, or a desire for self-aggrandizement. So again, for Christ followers, we have a biblical worldview. And the Bible cautions us over and over against being prideful or haughty. Now, maybe the most famous verse about those topics is found in the book of Proverbs, where it says this, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So it's important for us to make a distinction here. It's okay to do a good job and be proud that you did a good job, but being prideful is different. The Oxford Language Dictionary defines prideful as having an excessively high opinion of oneself. Now, I believe that Jesus was proud of what he was doing for God, but he wasn't going to be prideful and test God. Of course, knowing what a Christian worldview is then for us doesn't mean that we still won't be tempted with the pride of life. So that's the pride of life. Now, the final area where Jesus was tempted, just like we are, is the lust of the eyes. So let's go back to the story. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So the lust of the eyes can be defined as a craving for everything we see or, or wanting everything for ourselves, or simply covetousness. As one author writes, the temptation of the lust of the eyes for Jesus was Satan's offer to give him a quick and painless route to become the Messiah that would not include the suffering and his death by crucifixion. Jesus knew what he was facing, and he was able to actually acknowledge that it would not be easy. In fact, one night he became so overwhelmed that he prayed a prayer in the garden, asking God if there was another way to accomplish the Father's will that it be done without suffering. When you read that story, you also say, in the end, Jesus said, not my will, God, but yours. The biblical worldview that we have is not about accumulating worldly wealth and things in life for ourselves, but rather it's about using what God has blessed us with, be it great or small, to bless others with. I've been reading a fascinating book on the history of Christianity, and, and it caught my attention, quite frankly, because of the title. The title is Bullies and Saints, An Honest Look at the Good and Evil of Christian History. So remember this, Jesus is the founder and the teacher of a Christian worldview, and that Christian worldview says that all people are made in the image of God, and thus all people are valuable. And so he taught that instead of acquiring wealth and things for ourselves, that we should use them to care for others and to serve others regardless of what that can do for us or what they can do for us. 
So the early Christians practiced compassionate generosity and love that was so totally opposite from the way pagans of that culture operated. In fact, the pagan culture nurtured an idea that may have promoted helping your family, and it may have promoted helping those who could do something for you in return, but never, never did it openly and widely promote helping those who couldn't help you in return. Rarely did we ever see in historical documents that it advocated for the care of the poor and the less fortunate. But through the teaching of Jesus, Christians came along and they understood that they were supposed to take care of the poor and of the widows and of the orphans, regardless of whether they were Christian or pagan. And, and then you see in history, in the first 300 years when there were plagues, it was the Christians who didn't isolate themselves. And instead, they went out and they cared for the sick and for the dying, and they made sure those who died had a proper burial. And in these first three centuries, there was literally a concept that not every child deserved to live. So when a child was born and it was unwanted, maybe because it had uh, uh, some type of deformity, or maybe, unfortunately, because it was a girl, it would be left outside to die of exposure or worse. But Christians came along, and they gathered up those babies. They rescued them and raised them and took care of them. You see, the biblical worldview clearly counters the temptation of the lust of the eyes. But that being said, it doesn't, doesn't exempt us from that temptation. So now that we've seen how Jesus was tempted and, and how, how his temptation mirrors how we're tempted, let's see what the Bible says is the way out of temptation. I'm going to share with you a very important verse, one I learned a long time ago, because it's important to help us whenever we find ourselves facing temptation. And in fact, it gives us a promise of a way out of temptation. It's from 1 Corinthians. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to humankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. That's a great promise, and that's good news. And it's one that we all need to remember so that whenever we face temptation, whether it's the lust of the flesh or the pride of life or the lust of the eyes, whenever we sense that creeping into our hearts or our minds, we can recall that verse and remind us that God will help us. Now, the Bible gives us several ways to deal with temptation. And I want to look at the first way that we can deal with temptation. And it's basically a tool that Jesus used in the story that we read where Satan tempted him. And it's this, use God's word. Because Jesus knew scripture, when Satan came along and tempted him, when he faced that temptation, every time he was tempted, what did he do? He turned to scripture and he quoted it to confront the temptation that was in front of him. You know, the Bible tells us this. It says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's basically telling us how to combat temptation by hiding God's word in our heart. To hide God's word in our heart means that we memorize it. That's what Jesus did, and that's what we all should do. Now, as I say that, I imagine some of you are thinking, well, well why should I do that when I have a phone in my pocket that has the Bible on it? 
Well, very simply, we should hide God's word in our heart. We should memorize it because when we're in the heat of the battle with temptation, it's not going to be easy to pull out a Bible or our phone and find a verse. But when we've memorized it, we can recall it on the spot and we can bring it into the battle when it's raging in our hearts and minds. You don't have to lose ground in the temptation battle or fumble to find the verse. So I want to encourage you to start memorizing Scripture. And I, I have a resource that I would love to send you. The Navigators Ministry has, an, has created an easy-to-use system for memorizing key verses that point to biblical truths that we all need to know and have at the tip of our finger, figuratively speaking. So if you send us an email at connect at valleybrook.cc, we'll send you a link to that free resource. The next scriptural tool is this, pray and watch. When Jesus was in the garden praying, he asked his disciples to watch and pray so that they, you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now they had already let him down. They had fallen asleep many times. And so the temptation they were facing was to feed their need for sleep instead of stay up with Jesus and pray with him. We all know what the things are that tempt us. Regardless of whether you think you're good at prayer, we all need to pray. We need to make it a continual practice, a discipline of our lives. And when it comes to battling temptation, we need to be vigilant by praying regularly to fight our temptations, but we also need to watch out for the things that do tempt us. When Jesus taught about adultery, he raised the bar saying, adultery does, doesn't just happen with physical contact. It also happens with visual contact because lust happens by what we take in through what we see with our eyes. So as we pray, we also need to watch so that we don't take in images or ideas or thoughts that will lead us into temptation. This will need to translate in our lives into some practical steps where we consciously decide that certain places or things or even relationships that can tempt us and draw us into sin have to be watched and avoided. The next scriptural tool is to put on the armor of God. Now, in the sixth chapter of the book of Ephesians, it talks about the armor of God, and this is what it says. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when, you, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. So I'm not going to read the whole description of all the parts of the armor of God. I want to encourage you to go to Ephesians chapter 6 and read that and study and see how God has blessed us with these spiritual pieces of armor that we can use to fight the temptations that the devil sends our way. But I want you to go back to the first verse. It's a command. It says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The devil wants to tempt us. 
And if the devil wants to tempt us, then we need to be prepared. We need to put on the full armor of God every day. We need to think about what we're taking in, and those spiritual armor pieces are, are important principles of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and we need to take those in so that we can address any temptation that comes our way. Just like we get up every day and put on clothes, we need to get up every day and put on the spiritual armor of God. There's one final tool, and it's this. Flee the thing that tempts you. The Apostle Paul told the young church leader, Timothy, these words. He says, flee the evil, evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. It's very practical. If something is tempting to us, we need to run away from that thing and, and run to the very things, the very practices that will take us deeper into our relationship with God. Now, this can be challenging because you may have to remove yourself from people, places, and things that you've enjoyed for a long time. If there are people in your life that facilitate addictive behaviors in you, now this is going to sound harsh. You need new friends. You need people in your life who will build you up and not bring you down. If there are places that tempt you, whether they are places in the physical world or places in the virtual world, you need to leave those places. This may require that you put boundaries around your life. This may require that you put boundaries around your time on the internet and put filters on your computer that you don't know how to remove. We need to do whatever it takes to flee from temptation. Now, I want to give you one bonus scriptural tool. In the book of Proverbs, it says this, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. It's the idea that two people working together can make each other better. So if you're struggling with a temptation, ask a mature Christ follower if they would be willing to be an accountability partner with you. In that relationship, you promise to be completely transparent with them and they promise to be transparent with you, and you, you openly tell them what tempts you and how you're doing, and you ask for their support, you ask for their accountability, and they do need to, in return, hold you accountable. Now, just to be clear, women should meet with women and men with men. And I will tell you this, if you need help in this area in making a connection with a possible accountability partner, partner let us know, send us an email at connect at valleybrook.cc and we'll do our best to connect you with someone who can be that accountability partner for you. These are some of the tools that we can use when we face temptation. The American statesman Benjamin Franklin is credited with the saying that there is nothing certain in life but death and taxes, but I would like to add one more thing to that list temptation. So there is nothing certain in life but death, taxes, and temptation. Every single one of us face temptations every single day of our lives, regardless of whether our temptation is the lust of the flesh 
or the pride of life or the lust of the eyes. We need a plan for how we're going to handle temptation. I hope you found that plan in today's message, and I hope that you will employ these scriptural tools so that you can live out your best life. If you'd like a copy of this outline, you can go to the Bible app, and you can download it, or you can send us an email, and I'd be happy to email that to you. But I want to move into a, a time of prayer, and I recognize that if you're not a follower of Jesus, this may have prompted you to think, you know, I need to become a, a follower of Jesus. So if that's you... You can do that today. But here's what you need to know. The Bible tells us that God loves us and wants a relationship with us, but unfortunately our sin makes it impossible to have that relationship with God. Our sins require that a penalty is paid. And there is nothing that you and I can do, no matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we work, nothing we can do to pay that penalty. But God in his mercy sent Jesus to pay that penalty for our sins by dying on the cross and being raised back to life. And so if we believe in Jesus and if we confess our sins and ask for forgiveness, God will forgive us and allow us to enter into a relationship with him. And yes, we will also receive the promise of eternal life. So if you'd like to do that today, you can simply by telling God through a simple prayer that, that I'm going to invite you to pray in just a moment to begin that relationship. And if you do pray that prayer, let us know, because I want to send you some material to help you grow in that relationship. Now, as we move into this time of prayer, I'm also going to conclude that prayer of salvation, I would call it, and lead us also in a prayer that will pray for all of us as we battle temptation. So, if you would, bow your heads and close your eyes, and I'm going to lead those who want to become a follower of Jesus today in a simple prayer, and you can pray it silently wherever you are, and I'll just give it to you one verse at a time. So here we go. Let's pray. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe Jesus Christ is your son. I believe that he died for my sin and that you raised him to life. I want to trust him as my Savior and follow him as my Lord from this day forward. Guide my life and help me to do your will. I pray this in Jesus' name, and we'll say amen to that prayer. But now I want to pray for all of us. Lord, we know that you face temptation. We know that you face the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, just as we are tempted. And so, Lord, I pray for every single one of us that we will take seriously the fact that Satan roams around and he wants to tempt us to move away from God, to sin and separate ourselves from God. I pray, Lord, that, that we would be strong, that we would employ all the things that you've given us in Scripture to combat temptation and that we would walk in victory. And if we fail, Lord, I pray that we would all quickly return and confess our sinfulness and repent and turn back to you and seek to be faithful followers of you. So, Lord, give us the strength to do this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.